Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. standing for just a moment and we'll sit in a second but I just first off want to bring greetings to you from Carol my wife of 47 years who actually had her plane ticket bought and was coming with me to be here this weekend and would you believe it she pinched a nerve and bless her heart she can't walk let alone get on an airplane and so I've been in touch with her today she's watching the service today here she sends you her love and um She's my hero, my wife, she's my hero. She came in 1987 with three babies and 11 duffel bags full of our junk and pioneered in, we've been in Penrith 35 years. And she, I tell you, if she, she's my hero. The other thing I'd like to say before we're seated is just how powerful your faith promise card is. I, I'm looking at that screen. It was good to see Spence, I miss him. I miss coming here and not seeing Spencer. But looking at what already your faith promised, this tenacious house, what a work of grace and mercy. What a, what a place for God to transform people. Well, look, look, what, look at the power of the faith, faith promise card. And now I look at global, I was here the Sunday Global Heart changed its name. I was here that Sunday. And now we have four continents. And even a third world nation like Melbourne. Good on you. You're not afraid to do the tough yards. I love that. I love that. Actually, we also have an imagination search in Melbourne too. So we're right, we're right there with you out in the western suburbs. But that's the power of the Faith Promise card. And I know next week you're going to fill this out. And things are going to happen when you do. And like Pastor was saying just a moment ago, in, in Penrith, we've been filling out a faith promise card now for 35 years. And we have just been astounded. Not only at what God has done in the nations, but what He's done in us. This saves us from self-focused, shriveled up Christianity. This delivers us from being some narrow little all about me group of tongue talkers. Honestly, this this helps this helps this this hurts us and this helps us and this lifts us and it's done more for our church than our church has ever done for the nations of the world. I'm telling you right now, that's the power of this card. And today 1900 prisoners will be fed in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and every day for a year we're feeding 1900 prisoners so they don't because in the Democratic Republic of the Congo if you're in prison you can go days without eating because the prison doesn't provide food for you and if your family doesn't come and provide food and if they live out in the country men have literally starved to death in prisons 
And we feed those prisoners now every day through faith promise giving. And we have, by God's grace, and we're so excited, working with a good old Aussie eye doctor up in Tamworth who's been going for 20 years into India. Nobody knows his name. He's done more cataract surgeries than Fred Hollows ever did. He's done, he's done 25,000 cataract surgeries. And he's never had a church really come alongside him and partner with him. And we said, may we will fund your next thousand cataract surgeries. And the Faith Promise Card, the Faith Promise Card does that. So I just want to honor you. Next week, ask the three questions. The three questions. What could I give? What could I give up? And what could I believe God for? And then fill out the faith promise card. Thank you. Please take your seats. God bless you. I want to share this morning, the title of my message is From Woe to Go. All my life, I've sort of heard it the other way. Yes, from go to woe. But I want to talk about how do we get from woe when it comes to missions to go. Because go is what Jesus told us to do. He said in Mark 16, 15, go. <laughs> I think we have a tendency to say, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want to make that last command my first priority. I want to pastor a church that has that last command as their first priority. He said in Matthew 9 and verse 37, the harvest, it's great. How many think, maybe more so than ever, after a global pandemic, when fear prevailed and when everything that we thought was stable is unstable, how many think maybe even more than ever in our lifetime, right now, the harvest is great. It's greater than it has ever been in our lifetime. But here's the problem, great opportunity, but... The workers are few. The goers and the givers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him, send more workers into the fields. So why are the workers so few? It's because there's more woe than there is go. It's because there's more shirkers than there are workers. It's because it's easier to delay than it is to obey. So I want to ask the question this morning, what has to happen in my heart before I truly embrace the last command of Jesus and make it my first priority? What has to happen in your heart and in my heart before we truly, truly embrace go as the default position of our life. If it's, if it's my money, go. If it's my life, if it's my children, if it's my whatever, go. That that becomes my default. What has to happen in me before that? What's the process or the progression that produces in me a missions mandate and a missions mindset? And not just some little missions, half-baked, half-hearted commitment to reach in my pocket and pull out some change and get God off my back. What has to truly happen in me? And I want to share with you what has to happen in you today. And what has to happen in me today before we truly, truly live a life of go. 
And so I want to show you how it happens from the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 6, those first eight verses are so powerful. But when we get to the eighth verse, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the master. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I spoke up. I'll go. Send me. Now, that's not what's happening in the first verse. How from woe to I'll go? What happened? Something happens in him from woe to I'll go. Send me. And what happened in him has to happen in you. What happened in him is what has to happen in me before we also will say, I'll go. I'll go. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I spoke up, I'll go. Send me. So how do I become like that? How do I get to a place like that in my life? You know what? He didn't even ask, where? When? How long? What's the ticket going to cost? My goodness, the, tr the reality is God wasn't even talking to him. He overheard God. This wasn't even God saying to Isaiah. God was just speaking and God was saying, who will go for us? God speaking among God, among his beautiful, triune, glorious, mysterious self, God decreeing to God, God asking the question to God. And Isaiah overhears God ask the question. And he went from woe to go. What happened? What happened to him? So I want to show you the progression that turned him into someone who was willing, willing to go. So let's start with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Oh my goodness. In the year of uncertainty, the king dies. Everything that's stable now becomes unstable. In the year of ambiguity and insecurity and a whole lot of shaking going on, in turmoil and duress and stray in that year, in that season, in that type of government situation, Isaiah sees a vision of God on a throne. God ruling and reigning while everything else is falling apart. The world was wonky and wobbly and woozy and Isaiah has a vision of God seated on a throne. The king was dead, but God was on a throne ruling and reigning. The government was in disarray, but God was on his throne and Isaiah saw it. He saw it. Verse two, angel seraphs hovered above him, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And they called back and forth one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the God of angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah saw God's glory.
You know, Moses wanted to see it. Moses asked God, could I see it? Could I see your glory? Would you let me see your glory? And so God takes Moses and he hides him in the cleft of the rock. He stuffs him in face first to the rock. But here's what happens. Let me see your glory, he says. God puts him in the cleft of the rock. And then he says this, and he caused his goodness to pass before him. He asked to see his glory, but it was God's goodness, his glory, his goodness, his glory, his goodness. His goodness passed before him. Isaiah saw a vision of God's goodness. He saw God ruling and reigning and seated on a throne and glory and seraphims and a train that fills the temple. He saw the goodness. He saw what Moses could not look at and live. And I believe a heart for missions begins with a vision of God's goodness and of God's greatness and of God's glory. And we need to see it. We need to see it. This is where mission begins. Not just looking at the nations and the need of the world, but looking up to a throne where Elohim is there in his Shekinah and the glory. And all of a sudden, I am just penetrated by the goodness and the glory of God. But there's a problem with a vision like that. I mean, a real problem. That's a dangerous vision because the Bible actually says that no one can see that and live and it's sort of like the roadrunner chasing, being chased by Wiley E. Coyote. And you know, the, the, you know, the roadrunner goes all around the cliffs and the bluffs and the high, and here, you know, here comes Wiley Coyote, but you know, and at some point, you know, he doesn't make the turn. And at some point, he slips out and there's this moment of animated suspension and he's there and it's like, oops, well, Isaiah has a moment just like that. Because he's in the visual sight of the glory of God. And in that moment, he becomes aware of how wicked and evil and guilty he is to be in that presence of God. And guilt, guilt grips him in the presence of God's glory. And it's like, OMG. We read in verse five, then I said, this is Isaiah's own testimony. I said, whoops. No, he said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among people with filthy lips, and yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. The old translation says, woe is me, for I am undone. The message says, doom, it's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Could there ever be two greater extremes in imagination? Two greater extremes than to look up and see God of glory, God of transcendent goodness, and to look down and see himself guilty, guilty, guilty. He's undone. 
He's doomed. He's damned. He's a dead man. Next verse. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Follow the process from glory to guilt to grace. In one moment, God does for Isaiah what he could never, ever, ever do for himself in a thousand lifetimes, and that's make himself righteous before God and acceptable in the sight of God, and to somehow get himself into a place where he could stand before the Shekinah of God. In one moment, he goes from guilt to grace, and he is now worthy to stand in the presence of God's glory. Only grace could do that. Yeah. Only grace. Yeah. Only grace. And we read in Romans 3 in verse 24, God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Oh, stop it. Stop it. I can't believe it. How could a man like me ever be right in his sight. I'm not even right in my own sight. And yet somehow God does this amazing, glorious, miraculous thing. And he makes a man like me, a bag of bones that we sing about. A man like me can stand before God and God can look at you and he can look at me and he could say, you're right in my sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Come on, you and I were just as undone, just as doomed, and just as dead as Isaiah. And so what happens when God's grace meets our guilt? What happens? We become guiltless and graceful in one moment. And then this is the tipping point. This is where everything changes. This is where my life and everything about my life will never be the same. Because this is what happens to any guilty heart that experiences grace. Colossians 1.12. Your hearts can soar with joyful, say it with me, gratitude. Say it with me, gratitude. Gratitude. When you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light, gratitude, gratitude. This is the only response 
impossible to the amazing grace of God. Here's this glorious God and here's his guilty man and here's his amazing grace. And all of that mixed together produces someone who is grateful before God, open and broken and grateful before God. Grace, the grace produces gratitude. And this is exactly where Isaiah was when he overheard God say, who will go for us? He said, send me. I don't care where, how much, I don't, nothing matters, nothing matters. Your amazing grace has taken my guilt and the rest of my life is spent in gratitude. This is where Isaiah was. Who will go? He had just gone from a vision of the glory of God to the guilt of his own heart the grace that rescued his very life to gratitude beyond words. And that's when he says, I'll go. I'm in. What do you want of me, Lord? You got it. You got all of it. I'm all in. I'm all in. This is the response of a grateful life. I'm all in. You, missions? If, if, whatever you call it. You call it because I am yours. I am completely yours. I am completely yours. Don't care where, don't care when, don't care how long, don't care how much it costs because it doesn't matter. Now, family, if you have a true vision of how great and how good and how glorious God is, and if you have a true sense of how lost and how desperate and how despicable and wicked your own heart is. And if you have a true encounter with grace that is greater than all of your sin and the gift of righteousness that it brings into your life, then you will live eternally and entirely and humbly grateful and this is where a mission's heart is made could I ask our team to come this was the progression that brought Isaiah from woe to go and it's the same for me it's the same for us a vision of God on the throne. I know the world is in disarray and I know we can't figure it all out and governments are, I don't know how we can make such stupid decisions. I mean, I'm not a politician, I'm a pastor and I don't want to get off out of my lane, but the world's gone nuts, man. The world's crazy, the world's insane. But God's on his throne and God is full of glory and God is full of goodness and God is full of greatness. And here I am, a man like me, a man like me. My mother was 15 years old when she birthed me. She had six kids by the time she was 23. My dad left home when I was about five. He went to the penitentiary for armed robbery and never came back. And I was raised like many of you in a home of mayhem, 
alcoholic, violence. I learned how to use a telephone when I was five to call the police. A man like me. And I'm so grateful. And there's nothing he could ask of me. Nothing. I'm so grateful that he would grace me, forgive me. And my life now is committed to the Great Commission because that's what gratitude will do. It will move you into that going and giving. It will move you into that Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, go, go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The great commission for you and me here in Australia, the great commission is going and giving. It's going or it's sending. It's going or it's funding and supplying. You know, this is what the church in Philippi did. That church in Macedonia, they were so poor. They didn't have two dimes to rub together. It was a poor church. And yet they excelled in the grace of giving. And they were Paul's only support church financially that we know about in the New Testament. They, send, they would send offerings. All those poor people would just... They must have had faith promises or something. I mean, because somehow they figured it out. And Paul would be receiving from them. They supported him. They supplied him. They sustained him on all of his missionary journeys. And honestly, all of that giving has not yet reached its final reward because the Apostle Paul's ministry is not yet finished. I read my Bible every day. How about you? And that Philippian church is still reaping in you know, the, the, the benefit of giving. We go and we give from a place of gratitude. We go and we give because the grace that has come to us through our Lord Jesus Christ has made us right in God's sight and we are completely forgiven of all of our sins and we can stand in his presence just like a son, a daughter. We go and we give because our guilt is gone and our sins have been washed away and we've been transformed. We go and we give because of the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God who sits on the throne so, so that the world will not perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How do we get a mission's heart? What's the process? How do we get from whoa to go? It's his glory. It's my guilt. It's his grace. And it's my gratitude. Would you stand with me and let me pray? What could I offer to the Lord? for all that he has done for me. How could I express gratitude for the goodness of God, the grace of God? Maybe it's by loving Jesus. He said, if I loved him, I would obey him. And he said, go. And so Lord, I love you, so I'll go. And it's that simple for me. 
And I pray all of us, Lord, today would go back to a vision of God or get on our faces until we get a vision of God on a throne in a chaotic world. God's ruling and reigning and he's good. And also maybe a vision of how not good and unworthy I am apart from Jesus Christ. And then that grace that makes everything amazing and a life that is just so grateful. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Help us, Lord, to get this mission's heart in Jesus' name. so much for joining us online today really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of jesus both here in australia and around the world if you enjoyed today's message i'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend a workmate a family member and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in jesus name If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.